Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Hey there. So it's been a minute since our season ended, but we're back today with a special bonus episode, and we've got something a little different today. One of the questions I get a lot in the Love Letters column is this. How do you know if you should get married? This is a tough question for me to answer sometimes because I've never really wanted to get married. And sometimes I find myself saying, I will never get married, as if it's a rule. I wanted to talk to someone who felt the way I do about this and figure out why. Gia Tolentino is a staff writer for The New Yorker and the author of the book Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion. We talked about why she doesn't want to get married, something she writes about in the final essay of her book. This season on the Love Letters podcast, we're tackling one big question, which is how do you know? And it's about intuition and choices and how we decide things in relationships. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was because the final essay in your book really confronts one big question, which is why do people get married and why you're sure that you don't want to be married? And personally speaking, I very much understand and I um, I love people that can articulate it. So I want to talk to you about that. But why don't you just start by describing the book you wrote and sort of what it broadly covers, and then we can focus on that last essay. Sure. So I published an essay collection called Trick Mirror. It's about circumstances in my life and in contemporary culture that seem particularly conducive to self-delusion. That last essay in your book, I love the title of it. It's called I the Dread. And I just want to start by talking about the basics of your current relationship, how and when you met your boyfriend of 11 years. I actually I met him at a Halloween party when I was in college. He was dating a girl in my sorority who would break up with him, I think, the next spring. He had gone to University of Virginia like I did and had graduated two years earlier than me. But he was working as an architect in town. And we met at just someone's apartment. You know, we were drinking before some party. And he was dressed as the wrestler Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And did you recognize the costume right off the bat? Did you know what he was going for? No, I had no, I still have no idea who Rowdy Roddy Piper is, to be honest. Like, Andrew and I have very independent interests. Like, he loves going to metal shows, and I will never, you know, like, but so I met him at that party, and then he ended up being in grad school in Houston, which is where I grew up, and I was in Houston after I graduated Killing Time before I joined the Peace Corps. I, you know, randomly messaged him the fall of 2009, and We ended up getting together and hanging out a lot until I left for Peace Corps. I didn't expect, like, two weeks before I left for Peace Corps, we decided to try to date and try to stay together. And then we did. And now 
10, 10 and a half years have passed. It always seems to me that people meet right before they're about to go away or, you know, that actually yeah. having having the stakes be somewhat higher and lower at the same time can totally make people be romantic. So um, can you just when you get back at that point, what is the relationship like when it becomes less about a long distance romantic love and more about, oh, like I live here now we can be together? I definitely think that our relationship starting when both of us expected it to be, you know, expected there to be a, a time limit on it is what made it so, so fun. It was it was this very, like, uninhibited thing for that first six months. As I wrote in that essay in the book, at the time, this was 2011, and I think this was an era in which sort of lifestyle blogs were were proliferating, like women-centered, like a lot of wedding blogs were everywhere. And I think because there were a lot of sort of ghostwriting, freelance writing, I would come across them just in my job searches. And they filled me with such deep, horrible dread that I kind of projected back onto me just hanging out and cooking. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't end up like this. I mean, so you mentioned in that essay that you keep a running Google spreadsheet of weddings that you attend with Andrew at this point. Can you talk about sort of what went into starting that and just the wedding? I mean, I I went through like, I think my first wave of going to weddings was mid-20s. And Mm -hmm. when did that wave hit you? So Andrew is, he's like three and a half years older than me, I think. And I grew up in Texas. He grew up in Long Island. And both of us grew up in pretty conservative upper middle class schools And UVA is also a pretty, like, everyone is a little on the conservative side in terms of, like, UVA is a very tradition-loving school. And we were both in the Greek system. And so the wedding invitations have just been not, like, fast and furious. You know, and also Andrew and I are both, like, you know, we're both really good wedding guests, you know. (laughs) Like, we always have a great time. We always get drunk. We never get messy. We always, you know, befriend the people's families. You know, we'll talk to anyone. It's like we always have a good time at weddings. And so we were together. And I think the year that I was 22, so it was, I think this was 20, in 2012, we got 18 wedding invitations. And I just lost my mind. Wow. I mean, Wow. That's like, it's a lot of dresses. Were you in some of them? I don't think I was in any that year, but they were always fun. You know, like I I never didn't have an amazing time at them. I never didn't tear up when my friend was, you know, walking down the aisle or whatever. The accumulation of it filled me with a certainty that I was not interested in doing this personally. So I know for some people, they go to weddings and they're thinking, oh, like maybe I want, you know, place mats like this or cake like that, you were beginning to feel like even though you loved this experience, you didn't necessarily want to have it for yourself. Yeah. I think I knew I just have had a total absence of wedding fantasy in my in my private life, you know, ever since I was a kid. And as I say in the book, it's like it's not that I was really girly as a kid. You know, I loved fancy dresses. I loved reading about fancy dresses. I I also loved to be the center of attention when I was little. I was like a dancer and I was in musical theater. And I, you know, I just, and you know, I've organized my entire adolescent and adult life around, you know, monogamous heterosexual relationships. It's like I'm I'm very traditional in a lot of ways. Like I have a really conventional life. But I just, 
I had never been particularly interested and I never had that twinge of, you know, one day this will be me or whatever. I just never been able to imagine myself in a wedding dress. I, you know, so much of the symbolism of the entire event and, you know, what it represents in terms of legal codes and, you know, it's just I never I just was never interested. But obviously that brings up the idea that for many people, the idea of a wedding is um, it's just not something they want. But a wedding is different than a marriage, right? Or just the, the idea of being married. For some people, they might not even disclose to family and friends that they're married. So how did you yeah. connect um, the lack of interest in weddings to the institution it was celebrating? To me, you know, these days, marriage is an avowal of a commitment that already exists. But if you, for me, I already had that commitment. And so I didn't, like, I just, who's going to, who cares about the wedding, you know? (laughs) Later in our conversation, Gia mentioned the specific moment she knew she didn't want to get married. A friend of Andrew's had a wedding in Marfa, Texas. You know, Marfa's magical in itself. And they were so in love. And the wedding was so gorgeous. Like, I was watching them and I was like, this is really the most beautiful thing. And I don't ever want it. And I said, and I was, you know, kind of drunk and I said it out loud to Andrew. This realization was just building in my throat, like his face basically crumpled. And, you know, he had been having the opposite thought. He had never been particularly set on getting married, but he had had the thought in that moment that now I get why you would want to have everyone you love in the same room and do and do this thing. I think it felt sad, but I think it also felt good to have that conversation. We'll be back with Gia Tolentino after a short break. We're back. Today I'm talking with Gia Tolentino, staff writer for The New Yorker and author of the book Trick Mirror. Well, it seems to me that, like, in having the conversation about how you do or do not want to celebrate what could be a lifetime commitment or what at the very least is a very significant commitment, you're basically saying that you're all in. You're saying I'm all in and yet I don't need this. You know, it's not like you were just saying this isn't for me. You're not, you you know, you're not saying you're not for me. You're just saying you are for me. And in that, I do not have to have this marker of, of that commitment. I I don't think that I had as clear of an understanding of my future with Andrew then as I do now. You know, like, I think it it was a genuinely unsettling thing for him to hear when it's your 23-year-old girlfriend saying she never wants to get married, you know? No, you're right. (laughs) Now it it might mean something else, but... I also just don't think that much about, like, the case against marriage. It's so, it's, to me, it's just baldly obvious. Um, The case against all of these kind of what I find to be basically humiliating conventions of even in a straight couple, the woman waiting around for a man to propose to her, I I find it just utterly humiliating. For me, the harder thing is to make the case for it. And I almost didn't include the essay because the me that was writing it was a me of maybe four years ago. Like I haven't actually had to think that much about not getting married anymore because it's just like people have stopped asking our friends that are getting married now are having less traditional weddings, like the whole the whole sense of sort of this sort of 
unbroken ecosystem of tradition that I felt locked in when I, in my early 20s doesn't feel like that anymore. And so I mostly don't have to think about it anymore, which is amazing. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, I'm surprised. My closest couple friends who I set up, like they've been together 15 years or more and are not married by choice, you know, a man and a woman, she is still in her 40s now, constantly asked, are you guys going to get married? And I would say really? it's mostly it's mostly her call that it just hasn't been of interest to her. So it's like anytime she meets new people, family members still sort of joke about it, I think. And so I'm wondering yeah. when you were at these weddings over the years, I'm sure you guys got that question all the time. How did people approach you versus him? I was somebody at the yeah. Boston Globe actually said to me about this friend. Well, is she is she waiting like they were concerned for her? Right. And I was like, no. Right. <laughs> She's well, and, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's that's the way that people would talk to me about getting married is the thing that underlined for me how much, even though today we all espouse ideas of equality, that was the thing that made me aware of straight marriage as a site of gender resegregation, right? Like it was like all of a sudden you would start doing all of these women-only events, you know. There was just something in the way that people talked to me about marriage in a way that they did not talk to Andrew about it, even though people did ask him that all the time, um, but in a different way than they asked me. It made me just aware of the wedding as a thing that serves a place in culture. You know, it's the most broadly glorified that a woman will be in her lifetime, which I found so upsetting and so offensive and so sad because as humans, like we're, we change forever, you know, like women do, people do so much more, ex so many more exciting things than fall in love with each other. I think partly because of me, like, I think I've always found, I mean, I've been really lucky in my relationships and this is part of the reason that like, I'm, I'm fully aware that my, the way that I think about weddings is predicated on me having always felt extremely secure and confident in these relationships that I've had where I just have never seen the need of any sort of formality. But I, to me, it's like love is not that interesting. Love is just, love is natural and it's, and it's easy. Like it's, uh, and it's easy and it's fun and it's not, you know, it's not an accomplishment to fall in love with someone and it's not an accomplishment to be, to decide to love, you know, to commit to someone to me like it, it just seems like the most natural thing in the world see and so yeah see yeah. I as somebody who doesn't necessarily know if I can do that I think it's like it looks like it's something that takes great skill to be a partner now that said if that ever happened to me I still don't think I would I know for a fact I wouldn't want to celebrate it in that way but I still feel like yeah. um Right. Like, it, it seems very personal, right? Like, if I was able to pull that off, it would be, like, a private, wonderful thing to celebrate with my partner. But, um... Yeah, but so people would just talk to me about it, like, you know, in this cutesy way, you know? Like, when do you think it's going to be time for you guys, you know? And, like, what do you... And, like, it would be so sort of... The implication was that I was laying in wait for, for this thing and that it would be this grand... It just became clear to me that... It was this event that it's the single event in a woman's lifetime where she's encouraged to conduct everything on her terms. And after that, you know, you get married and it's sort of like a trade off. It's this massive glorification in exchange for just this structural dismissal, you know, at every level of our like social safety net and like workplace policies and stuff where women get married and then their identities are systematically subjugated to that of their husband and kids. And 
weddings to me, you know, they're a thing that used to scare me about them. It was just this idea like you'll settle down, right? Like you will reorient your life around the like a closed in circle of domesticity. And years ago, I figured out that that's not how all married people live. And that's not how I would ever have to live if I got married. But there was just this, this, all of these sort of connotations and patterns that come with marriage that I was sort of even out of a sort of superstition, not wanting to invoke upon my own life. Um, you write that the obsession and hatred of weddings, the, these like two sides of a coin, are sort of always a part of our culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? So weddings come with, they have this sort of double-faced, the phenomenon of the contemporary wedding, it has this double-faced aspect to it where there are these two versions of a woman that are conjured by the wedding, right? Like there's this monstrously glorified, transcendently visible bride. And then there's this shadow self of the woman that accompanies the wedding, which is the woman whose name disappears. And, and those two things are related, right? The sort of tacit understanding that women have to sacrifice so much more to a domestic household than men do is one of the underlying things. It's one of the underlying reasons why women are so glorified in the wedding. It's sort of an unspoken trade-off, right? I mean, it, it's impossible not to be suspicious of any institution where, I mean, just as an advice columnist, so many of my letters are about people waiting for proposals. And I wish I could tell you more of those people were men. Like anything that's, yeah. sta that's stacked in one particular way. And, you know, I've had this with women friends of mine where I'm not entirely sure what is tied to the want of that. But it certainly is a, I should, by this age, I should be doing this, I should have, without the full analysis of of what they want, like for themselves. And it's and it's all about structural inequality, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's this thing where where the idea of being proposed to is this establishment of security, this sort of unique sort of security for a woman's life in the absence of so many other or in the absence of or, you know, to the exclusion of all of the other ways that women can be affirmed and build the life they want. And, you know, it's like, I think a lot about external versus internal incentives. And to me, like the, the internal incentives of love and commitment are so, so completely divorced from the external incentives of the wedding and even of marriage. I mean, which isn't to say like, there's a whole part in that essay, like, I think that marriage was brought into its viable future by the Supreme Court gay marriage decision, you know, like, I think, yeah. I think that that changes everything about the institution and that gay couples often model the, the sort of partnership, the sort of actual pragmatic day-to-day -day equality that I want my own relationship to be like and that I have in my own relationship right now, you know? Like, it's not that I don't think that marriage can, like marriage has changed and people have been protesting it from inside and outside the institution ever since, you know, for centuries. It's just not something that I've ever been interested in. When I was in London, on book tour, uh, a friend of the family who I'd never met before started grilling me on this exact subject in in a way that I hadn't been grilled since I was like 23. You know, like it was like the, the kind of conversation that made me, that made me 
like go a little nuts about weddings a long time ago and like be so averse to them. And she was like, you know, don't you want to like honor your partner, honor the love you have? Don't you want to make it official? Don't you want to have the same name as your kids? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, and I, I mean, we talk about like, you know, if we have kids, I want to give them my name if they're girls. He wants to flip a coin. We'll see what happens. But it was like this family friend was just really, you know, she was like, I think you're going to want to later on, you know, like just really going all of this stuff. Like one day you'll realize how much your relationship will change once you once you affirm it in front of all these people. And there's something so special about getting everyone together. All You know, all this stuff that I've heard seven million times before. And it was and it just reiterated for me, like we never question and I think the, like the reason that I ultimately did include this essay in the book, despite I think it making it to me what are extremely obvious and like almost boring points, um, is that you know it's like I would I would never question anyone's desire to get married. You know, like it's like we all should and do do whatever makes us happy. You know, like I would never I would never sit a friend down and make them answer for me for 15 minutes exactly why they want to get married. And somehow I have, you know, like, if you don't want to, which is to me just an equally obvious decision, it's just someone wanting to do what they want to do. It wasn't until I turned 40 that people, I would say literally like 39.5, I was like, I've never wanted to have kids. And people would be like, you'll change your mind. And I'd yeah, be like, you're just dude. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's cool if it people want to, but, <laughs> but yeah, I right. Well, and child and not wanting to have kids, like I think that that, as I said in the essay, like I am yeah. sure that that line of que- I do want to have kids, yeah, and I'm sure that that line of questioning is a thousand times more invasive and more annoying because it's it's laid on you when you are even more of a full, complete, self determined person, right? Like I assume that the and the questioning is so much more invasive. I mean, it's kind and, of the same, but it's like I, you know, having been asked both things, but it is interesting that like. Like, I feel like after a certain age, maybe like 37, people were like, they stopped asking about the marriage thing because they were like, good luck to you, my friend. <laughs> and then it like, <laughs> as soon, it was like, as soon as I would say like, oh, I'm 41, they 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 can't say you'll change your mind. They're saying, I hope you don't change your mind. Right. <laughs> because yeah. now it's so it is interesting, though. But I, these questions are not it, it, I, to me. It's just more like a gender thing. It's like a woman thing. It's like not being trusted to like know what you want. So anyway, you've articulated so beautifully things I have felt. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for having me on. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. So, podcast listeners, we do have a Love Letters advice column, and I love to hear your problems. Reach out and tell us what's going on at lovelettersatboston.com. I'll try to fix it. Email the team at loveletters@boston.com or find us on Twitter at lovelettersblog. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more at loveletters.show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.
Rx.